welcome to Afterthoughts. This is our recommend or refute. Got to keep it short this time. <laughs> yeah, we, you, we Ryan will, Johnson, in this up. <laughs> we, we will uh, talk about something that we recently watched that we either want to recommend to you or refute that it was awful. Uh, we have our guests. I am your host, Ryan King, but we have our usual guests and a special guest as well. Um, that'll kick us off. We have John Garcia. Hey, hey, Ryan. I'm, uh, you know, I'm getting close to the end of October and I'm fucking okay. barely hanging on. Yeah. <laughs> Sanity tanking. All right. And Michael Dixon. Uh, John, John is not, uh, he is not sane at this point. I can confirm <laughs> no. that he is, has lost his mind. <laughs> That's he right. Just, I feel like yeah. this is part of like the 1984 chapter that was left out. Where they just make everybody watch a bunch of shitty movies. So. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much in there. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. no, that, okay. Oh, never mind. That's then. like the Clockwork Orange chapter. Uh, yeah. yeah. Cool. And also our guest, Eric, uh, who, who joins us recently. Hey, guys. Excited to be here. Well, uh, we can get started going into each thing. I will. Uh, let's 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 jump to John. Let's let you have your. Uh, oh, my day in the sun. Uh, yeah, let, let you have your shit. moment here. Let the pain out. <laughs> like a pig in <laughs> shit, my friends. On. I roll around <laughs> and and then I bring it all back to you. Um, yeah. So uh, of course, uh, by this point, if you're listening to Recommender Refutes uh, over the past few episodes, you know that I'm in the middle of uh, a, a mental crisis. Uh, that is called Schlocktober. It happens every year. Um, why does it happen? I was just asked that by a relative of mine at a wedding. Because you're insane. And, and that's exactly what it. I responded with. <laughs> <laughs> because when am I going to have the opportunity to watch all of this shit? Uh, literally. <laughs> um, and, and the answer is you should never do that to yourself. But I do. Uh, so of all the movies that I've watched, you know, I've, I've mentioned Jim Cotta. Jim Cotta's still at the top, obviously. It's hard to topple Just Jim a, a diamond of a film. Just, yeah, really. Just a beautiful piece of work. Uh, I mean, and, and Rage of Vengeance, which I talked about loving for different reasons, that's there too. Um, but, but beyond that, everything's kind of been mid-tier, uh, content. Um, I'm, I'm shocked I, to hear I this, was, John. I was really waiting, you know, because last year when I did Schlocktober, I, I watched uh, Helga, She-Wolf of Spielberg. I think that was last year. And the year before that, you know, there was something else that was equally shit. Cannibal Holocaust. Cannibal Holocaust, Cannibal Holocaust happened, and, yeah, yeah, at one point. Yeah, Roar. Actually, I think Cannibal Holocaust and Helga happened the same time. And then after that, it was like the fucking Star Crash 2 or some shit was my, like, bottom. Um, well, I found another thing that is at the bottom of the trash bin folks uh and it, it comes hot on the heels of the original star wars uh and it's it's an italian film uh that of the, course the it is western <laughs> name is star odyssey the planet is an l2 they're only barbarians they have no weapons against Ingerium. destroy them my men and i have to launch a fighter attack at once on the alien vessel what do you think we should do now commander i suggest we return to the station matrix for attack outline 1820 Attack potential two. Quick, we haven't got a second to lose. Damn you, Norman, you interfering warm-blooded animal. Who authorized you to reactivate me? Why can't two poor robots commit suicide in peace? Um, and good fucking luck finding a trailer for this one. I have no idea if it's going to have anything English. John uh, has cut a trailer it. for this movie that will be uh, online shortly. <laughs> I'm going to have to. <laughs> um... The synopsis for this movie is Earth is attacked by an intergalactic villain and his army of robotic androids. Uh, that doesn't describe 
just the mental anguish that this movie puts you through. That sounds like a straightforward, we had a movie and we made it in 70 minutes. Uh-huh. Uh, this movie's an hour and 40. Oh, and that's way too long. Uh, like every 10 minutes, I was like, this movie's buying time to append more time to the runtime of it. Like it just felt like the filmmakers were rendering things on the fly. This is like what AI would think that you would want to watch probably or something. Um, yeah, sure. There's a whole premise about some androids. They all look like, uh, they're all like, like bowl cut blonde androids for some reason who are trying to invade earth. Um, and it doesn't, that, that plot doesn't matter because there's like eight other plots going on in the middle of this fucking star Wars movie starts out with a bunch of dudes in jumpsuits talking about how they can't blow up this UFO. And then it goes from there to like a reptilian overlord who has bid the highest bid on earth because it has the most slaves who are human. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Um, Wait, when does this take place? It, it takes place like, I'm pretty sure it's like supposed to be like in the future. 2,312. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's, sure. it's, it's like, oh, you know, well, I'll say he's like, oh, it has humans, which are like great slaves. It's supposed to be like a species thing. But then there's another dude who's like. But you're forgetting how the white man behaved towards the Negro and the American Indian. is the most powerful race, which makes the decision as to who's civilized and who's not. And it just like fucking Jesus does. Christ. yes exactly it just goes that hard um yeah it just like explains that shit away and uh everything else about this is kind of a heist film where all of these people who i guess are like earth alliance members or some shit are like we got to stop this alien and these androids and we got to bring together the crew of people who can um who have psychic powers and can convince the aliens to fucking leave earth or some shit um, there's laser sword fights in it. There, <laughs> there's a couple of robots that are the C3PO of this. Um, <laughs> they're, they're literally like a couple that are married. Oh my and God. They both made a suicide pact and the movie plays it up as a, uh, like, why did they try to commit suicide? They literally make that a plot point where they're like, we got reawakened and we don't remember why we tried to commit suicide. One of them talks like he's from fucking Jersey too. So the moment he wakes up, he's like, Hey, you woke me up. What the fuck's going on over here? And like, and the other one talks like Betty Boop. And it like, as much as I say all this shit and it sounds like it might be entertaining. Um, there's just so much where it feels like the script said and improvise and everybody that was in this movie had no idea how to improvise. Does the C-3PO ever say, Hey, I'm walking here. He does not. But he also (laughs) does say, Hey, stay away from my wife over there. (laughs) Basically like, yeah, yeah. He does. He does some shit like that. Um, uh, uh, plot twist. The reason they try to commit suicide is because he's like, I found out that, uh, that you couldn't give yourself to me entirely or some shit. He was like, we couldn't, we couldn't consummate our love was like the reason the robots fucking kill each other. And I was just wait, like, the robots realize they can't have sex. They can't and fuck. They yeah. do, and they, they he was just like, other. yeah, we just can't, we just gotta commit suicide, but they play it up for yucks the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> they play suicide for a laugh. Isn't that hilarious? Everybody. Um, yeah, and there's there's Star Wars archetypes all over it. There's a fucking Luke Skywalker motherfucker. There's a Han Solo dude, and he's trying to make out with the Leia of this who has like the most uh like frizzy, froed hair ever. Um, 
And then there's just uh, some old dude who is a professor who orchestrates the rebellion against these android lizard people. Um, it's it's got a lot of elements of Star Wars Episode One in it, in the sense that you watch a bidding war. Episode happen. One is there a Jar Jar <laughs> yes. Binks in this? There, yeah, there, yeah, there might as well be. Oh my I god! I mean, you can just say basically there is. But I watched about a ten to fifteen minute sequence where a bunch of aliens bid for planet Earth, and they all talked about what they would do if they got it. And uh, it was just like a bidding war. You just it was like one dude leaning over to another, like, "Hey, man, if you can like just bid right now, that would be like great." Like, I would totally back you up for the money that you needed to. And, it, like, that's a conversation that happens in this gripping science fiction film. Oh, my God. Um, by the end of it, I think we were, like, 20 minutes out from it ending, and I was begging the screen. I was like, just end it. Just bring me to credits. Say that the credits are, like, 15 minutes long. I don't care. <laughs> uh, just whatever you can do. And it, it really it epitomizes the curse of Schlocktober for me, which is kick the remote away. You can't pause it. You just have to sit there and, and deal with it. And I don't know why Sasha stayed in the room with me <laughs> while I watched this, but she now blames me for making her see all of it, um, which she could have walked up at any time and, and, and left. So this sounds like a conversation about your marriage. <laughs> it is much like uh, I, I'm going to have Noah Baumbach write a movie about oh this. <laughs> the marriage story, too, about uh, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> there you go, Noah Baumbach. But yeah, so Star Odyssey 1979. Um, a lot of the reviews, if you go look it up, uh, they definitely don't have um, any kind of... They're all ironically bought in, talking mm. about how hilarious it might be or like what they love about it. But I, it was just pure rage for me. Like it just so, I was so frustrated with the filmmaking of it. Oh my um, God. Yeah. I, I don't know what else to say. It's just fucking weird and stupid. And I hated it. I, I have a question. The, the poster <laughs> looks like they were like, what if we made star Wars, but Leia was super hot. Uh, is that the ethos <laughs> of this movie? There's no like concrete Leia that's super hot. There's a Leia oh. who looks like she came out of a hippie commune, and then there's um some other woman who just wears full like skin tight leather, like a Barbarella kind yeah, of. Yeah, she's a yeah. Barbarella. Yeah. There's the poster, definitely a Barbarella. The poster of the movie has like a dude dressed exactly like Luke Skywalker yep. with a lightsaber, standing next to a woman in like a leather bodysuit and thigh high boots. So the dude with the Luke Skywalker lightsaber, <laughs> he actually he's the Han Solo of this movie, surprisingly enough, oh. and the. The woman okay. in the skin tight leather, she's just there and she's supposedly a scientist who can help them. Also, they have a made up mineral, which James Cameron, take notes, it's called Enderium and it means that it can withstand any kind of laser blast. So, uh, uh, oh Avatar is, 5 un, by Unobtainium, one. is yeah, that yeah. what they're, oh <laughs> That's my correct. God. I can't believe so, they just pulled that out of my ass. There you yeah. go. Uh, Unobtainium and Enderium, surely. They, they have to craft a, <laughs> an element in the middle of the movie. It's a whole crux of it that they have to craft anti-enderium so that they can breach oh my God. the alien's uh, walls. There you go, everybody. <laughs> like antimatter? Is that thing? It's kind of like that, and, <laughs> and it's just all worse. Um, I, the only thing that I really thought was, was kind of funny was the Han Solo character wears uh, what I can only describe as like a proto-Spider-Man outfit. He has like a sweater that has a spider that's em em embroidered on it and has what jewels and rhinestones and they don't explain any of that. So I was like, all right, there's some weird shit going on here with the costume design that they just don't care about. Um, 
there's also a wrestling match that happens in a moment. Ryan, I thought you'd be interested to know. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm listening. It's a wrestling match between uh, a scrawny man and a robot. And apparently anytime the man punches the robot's face, that counts as a pin. So they count it like a pin would. And then the robot breaks out of it and punches the dude in the face. Um, the editing is so offensive that they cut back to that fight. They cut to other scenes in the middle of dramatic scenes. They even cut character dialogue off entirely. And they're just like, this scene's done. Um, like, that's just how it goes. Uh, whoever's editing it could not salvage it. And they didn't even try. Um, so, yeah. Wow. How are uh, our robots? Are these like Roger Corman, like ro- robots and sets? Yeah, um, you can tell that they can't really move too well in the costumes. There's also an R2-D2 robot as well in here that you can tell is a little person suffering in a trash can. And That sounds they right. Just yeah. like they did the bare minimum. They put like an oil drum on top of them and they cut holes and they have like silver gloves that come out and they move oh, very no. slightly <laughs> and the entire time everybody remarks about how trashy it looks and how stupid this robot is oh my god, oh my god. Um, so even the, the the like english dub of this movie knows exactly what it is you watched the dub yeah i watched the dub <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah cannibal holocaust made me question humanity helga shiva from spielberg made me question filmmaker intention and genuineness and this this is like more of that sleaze. Like there wasn't even, you know what? It, it exposed something about myself. I didn't know. I, I it was inside of me, a kernel of myself that I oh, feel like is wow. corrupted now. It's such a big um, impact on you. Yeah. Because the moment I was done watching it, I was like, there wasn't even tits anywhere. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I felt immediately dirty and I needed to go shower that I had that thought was like, there's no sleaze in this oh movie to God. try to sustain me. If a schlock movie doesn't have boobs, what is it even doing? Yeah, like, what even is it? Wow. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Well, next uh, next October, you'll have to tell us about the other uh, three uh, Al Brady sci-fi opera movies that were oh, put out yay. around the same time. You can add <laughs> one of those to your wait. list. See if they're any uh, better. Uh, yeah, conclusively, though, I am refuting this. If nobody knew out there, <laughs> I just need to say that on the record. Uh, that was the vibe I got, but I'm glad, I'm glad you made that clear. I have to clear. set the record straight. Yeah. Dixon, can you save us? <laughs> what did uh, you watch? I can definitely not <laughs> save oh, us. No. Um, usually, dear listener, I try to bring good movies to recommend or refute and be like, hey, here's something you should seek out that you may not know about that you should go check out uh this week i was not afforded that opportunity uh i spent most of the week visiting family out of town and did not have the opportunity to watch a movie um i generally tried to avoid watching movies on airplanes i was actually talking to eric about this earlier this week like i i try not to do it because just a shitty experience a lot of times movies are edited and they're weird and like i would rather watch a movie in a theater or at home on my TV and my sound system. And I try to avoid watching movies on airplanes or, or laptops or uh, tablets and that kind of thing. Uh, but this week, I did not have a chance to watch a movie for recommend or refute until I was on a plane back to Austin. And I was like, all right, I'm in the air for like two hours, right? And it's like not an airplane where they have the screens built into the seats where you can start the movie before they take off. It's like you just have to bust out your laptop and they're like, we have free movies if you pay $19 for Wi-Fi. And then, you know, you watch the movie only while you're at cruising altitude, right? So um, 
I had to, American Airlines had 77 movies available to view, and all of them were movies that were made within the last two years that did poorly in theaters and have gone straight to American <laughs> Airlines <laughs> in the skies. And uh, I didn't have a lot of options, and I started looking at what I might be interested in seeing and checking the runtime because I was like, we're only at cruising altitude for so long. This is like a two hour and 15 minute flight, but we're only going to be actually available to get Wi-Fi for like maybe an hour 45. So I'm looking at what's available and I, the movie I landed on, uh, you know, there are a lot of movies that I had seen, a lot of movies that looked really stupid, some movies that were a little too long for the uh, flight. The movie that I landed on was a 93 minute movie from Robert Rodriguez from 2023 called Hypnotic. Are you familiar with the concept of hypnotics? Hypnotics. Hypnotics have the ability to influence the brain, sound, voice, and light. Locking eyes. Hypnotics use them to make you see a version of the world that doesn't exist. Thanks. It's not him anymore. Dick, stop! I have to know everything. Why me? Why my daughter? You don't know who you're dealing with. What you're seeing isn't real! Get back! Hypnotics make everything that you see and do feel perfectly normal that uh dear lord it was terrible um robert rodriguez wrote this movie he directed this movie he shot this movie and he edited this movie um this is all pure robert rodriguez ben affleck in the starring role in as ben affleck has tended to be in movies over the past 10 years seeming like he would rather commit suicide than film another second uh, just really looking like he wanted to die in every scene of this movie. Um, I'm going to spoil the absolute shit out of this movie because it is stupid as fuck and it's just going to be fun to talk about. But <laughs> Ben Affleck, this movie shot in Austin. Ben Affleck is a detective in the Austin Police Department. And he it starts out with him uh, talking to a therapist about a traumatic event where his daughter was kidnapped. And he had a daughter who's maybe around 10 years old and is kidnapped by some creepy dude. And the dude says that he has no memory of it. And his lawyers are pleading insanity and trying to say that he's innocent, that he had no recollection of, of doing this thing. Uh, then he goes about his work day and sees a bank heist occurring and sees this creepy dude uh, kind of going around and saying weird shit to people. Um, this creepy dude, you will recognize his face. You may not recognize his name. His name is William Fichtner. Fichtner? Fichtner? Um, he plays kind of the weird-looking creepy dude in most uh, movies. And he is just walking up to random people and saying, like, four-word phrases to them. And then they just become hypnotized and do his bidding. And he robs this bank, and he just targets the safety deposit box. He doesn't steal any cash. He steals a photo of Ben Affleck's daughter and it says Lev Del Rain on the bottom of it and so Ben Affleck 
actually is able to grab this photo before it's stolen and is like, oh, this guy must be Lev Delran. I need to go capture him. Uh, this movie is really, really fucking stupid. Um, it's, it's, called, <laughs> it's called Hypnotic. Uh, the, the concept of this film is that there is this like government agency of CIA type dipshits who are able to uh, fuck with people through hypnotic methods where they have these mind powers and they can just force people to see and interpret the world through the lens that they cast upon them. Uh, so this guy can just come up to the bank teller and be like, it's late afternoon. And then she just goes, yes, it is. And then she goes in and robs the bank for him and hands him the things that he asks for. Uh, it's not that he has like programmed this woman for years. Not a Manchurian and candidate no, thing? It is not a Manchurian candidate scenario. <laughs> that's what I thought it was, where there's like a code phrase that just like triggers the, you know, implant that's already there this is just we have mind powers jedi and mind we can powers. just say random things to people in a, a weird jedi tone and then they just do what we want them to do even though it's not the words that we said yeah. um ben affleck is coming to learn about this cadre of weirdos as, as he is going about his job and trying to figure out who kidnapped his daughter and he thinks this guy did because there's that picture that he was trying to steal of his daughter he ends up uh he thinks his wife has left him over the course of of losing oh, his daughter he no. ends up running to this in this woman played by alice braga who uh does what she can uh she's <laughs> doing is, good work given the horrible script in front of her this is not her fault that the movie is bad or the character is stupid but she is kind of trying to help him along. she is a hypnotist that he gets a lead on and she is kind of telling him about this underground CIA program of dipshit stupidness. And uh, they, they keep going along. And uh, spoiler alert, Ben Affleck realizes that he is actually one of those hypnotist weirdos. <gasps> but his mind has been erased. My God. And that girl, who is his daughter, has not been kidnapped by somebody. He actually hid her away. Because she is his child and she has like super hypnotist abilities. Whoa. And so the CIA or whatever wants to capture her and like, you know, train her in the hypnotist ways. And he's like, this is not the way that a child should live. So I need to like hide her out in the wilderness so she can be away from all this. Uh, eventually, we learn that this entire like two thirds of the way through the movie, we learn that everything we've been seeing is basically a hypnotist simulation. Awesome. That, that Ben Affleck is basically on a movie set Amazing. and has been seeing all this fake shit around him that is not real. And the hypnotist people are putting this on him. And, you know, like originally, like for the first two thirds of the movie, you know, you have your typical kind of action movie costuming. Like everybody has like three different leather jackets that they wear throughout <laughs> yeah. the movie. Yes. And they all have like stupid like just like they're all in Austin, but they're all wearing jeans and a jacket. It doesn't really make any right. sense. And then you reveal that actually he's on this movie set and this all stuff is happening hypnotically. And the people perpetrating this this cabal of evil hypnotists they look like a bunch of fucking realtors they're all wearing like red blazers <laughs> and black slacks and like what the fuck is going on here this is supposed to be some evil government entity that is like running the world and hypnotizing everyone and they look like they're trying to sell me a house this is just <laughs> doesn't make any sense 
at all. Um, Ben Affleck then, you know, realizes that he's being hypnotized and he remembers, oh shit, yeah, I actually, you know, orchestrated this whole thing and my daughter is hidden in this place and he, he breaks away and flees to the place where his daughter is hidden. Uh, then his, his wife, who is actually one of the agents, uh, played by Alice Braga, she, she shows up and he's like, oh good, you're here. Now we can be a family again. And uh, all, these, all these agents are there. He pulls his daughter out of the house and she starts like killing all of the agents with her mind while she is like in a group hug with her parents. Awesome. She's like, oh, they're like, oh, isn't this great that we can be together as a family again? And we're all together. And like, you know, their mother has been like brainwashed. And so the daughter is like de brainwashing her and they're all having a family hug while the daughter is actively killing like 30 people in the front yard. And they're like holding their pistols. They're like, oh no, as the pistols like moving towards their faces. Sounds like the amazing kind of schlock I would love. Exactly. This is very schlocky, John. You should watch this movie. Um, and they start killing each other and killing themselves and like, you know, shooting each other. And it's like literally there is a massacre occurring in the front yard and just a loving family hug on the porch. And Ben Affleck and all of them have these like weird closed mouth grins on their faces that look so self-satisfied and they're they're just so ex- happy be together as a family again and this evil governmental agency can't get at them anymore because they're literally killing them in cold blood in the front yard <laughs> um just the fucking stupidest movie i've seen in quite some time God um I, I, ben affleck is at a weird point in his career where like occasionally he does good work but for the most part he just seems like he wants to die and everything <laughs> uh like even you know there's that picture of him like cupping JLo's ass and he still looks like he wants to die like he just like seems like he's in a bad place <laughs> overall um there is a post credit scene to this movie like Robert Rodriguez clearly thought this was going to spawn a franchise and is definitely not going to spawn a franchise because no one saw this thing and I can't imagine it made more than like three dollars in theaters um so I was kind of shocked at the balls of this movie to have a post-credit sequence where like, oh, the villain actually knew what was happening and is coming to get you and is like, just so fucking stupid. <laughs> um, I absolutely hated this. Don't watch this movie. Uh, hard, hard refute. I'm going to watch uh, John, you should watch this movie. I'm going to absolutely watch <laughs> the <laughs> shit out of that movie. You know, for a while there, it sounded oddly like it could have been an ironic Wes Anderson and or Charlie Kaufman film. What? Just when you were like, all of them are just wearing blazers and that's like what they fucking do. I was like, that seems like some shit Charlie Kaufman would pull to just be fucking scathing. Bright some red character. blazers. Like yeah. I was like, you're going to take me to an open house. Yes, that's yeah, what's happening yeah. at this point. It was uh, like that or, you know, like that's why I think it's Wes Anderson or Charlie Kaufman because those weirdos would probably fucking write some shit like that <laughs> and be like, this is what the evil entity is. And Ben Affleck hates his fucking life and whatever else. There you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like Robert wow. Rodriguez, I, I have weird feelings toward him as a director. It's like whenever he tries to do something that he thinks is actually good, it's just horrible. But like, why? Like he, instead of making machete kills again in space, he made this right. Like he should be making that, like make more Danny Trejo action movies and I'll fucking be there and I'll see it three times in theaters. Like, don't, don't fucking do this. This is so fucking stupid. I don't need more spy kids movies. I don't need any more serious Ben Affleck sci-fi films. Like just give me more machete movies. Robert Rodriguez. Come on. 
Yeah, I was like, he also made a Spy Kids movie this year, and like last year he had this, or a couple years ago, this other thing on Netflix that was like also Spy Kids with their superheroes. Oh my um, god! Yeah, and I kind of feel like he's in the in that stage where it's just his friends and his kids. Yep. That he's just oh, making. You stuff mean he's with. he's Adam Sandler? He's just yes, Adam he's Sandler Adam Sandlering it through life. <laughs> yeah, he's like it's it's cheap for me to film in Austin. I'll just use all my children in the mm-hmm. making of this movie. <laughs> Hey, man, I mean, yeah, yeah, sure, why not? Go for it. Uh, Important question. Does Ben Affleck sound like he's from Austin and a part of APD, or does he sound like a townie, like his usual self? He sounds like Ben Affleck. There's no effort (laughs) to sound like he's not Ben Affleck. Does does Matt Damon show up at any point? No, no no Matt Damon. (laughs) Ah, Shit. Uh, But... Yeah, Jesus Christ, this movie is fucking awful. There's also just horrible special effects. Like, there's moments where these hypnotics can just make you see whatever they want you to see. So, like, they can appear as other people. They can make the world look different. And there are multiple scenes where Ben Affleck, like, looks down the street. And there's, like, an inception effect where there's, like, ground above him in the sky but in order to do it, they just have they just put like a hazy filter over the stuff that's in the sky, and it looks uh, so stupid. It's just this sounds it, like oh my God. like a fucking uh, pho- an even more phoned in version of Now You See Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Robert Rodriguez is credited with so many things. I, this appears to be something that he legitimately wanted to make, and I cannot understand why. Um, what a weird person. Um, <laughs> But yeah, Jesus, don't watch that movie. Yeah, he hasn't made anything that's even vaguely like sci-fi. No. Oh, he made Alita Battle Angel. Oh, yeah. But that was already like written for him. Right. Right. Like there was no like conceptualizing how Mm -hmm. sci-fi would work or how to make it work. That's probably (laughs) of the Robert Rodriguez films that I've seen lately, one of the better ones, but it's still like... I didn't see that one. I thought it looked stupid. And I was like, yeah, no. It is. Okay. <laughs> High praise. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. High praise for me. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh Eric, did you watch like a real movie? I did. Okay. I I, I will God. hopefully salvage us from uh the train wreck that has been okay. the unfortunate movies that we've had this group has watched so far. So much trauma. <laughs> so uh I've I've embraced a uh a strange series of movies I've been watching over the past couple of weeks in which I, on the one hand, am watching um, the Wong Kar Wai movies in order. Nice. And on the other hand, Ooh. going back and watching old classic horror films. Um, and so in the, past, in the past week, I've seen Chongqing Express. I've seen Fallen Angels. I've seen The Exorcist for like the hundredth time. Hell yeah. <laughs> I've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre for like the 200th time. Nice. Uh, and I saw Night of the Living Dead for the first time. The dead who live on living flesh. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. The living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. Which is what I would like to talk about today. Um, so I'm sure many are familiar with Night of the Living Dead, but for those who are not, um, 
I guess it kind of started a lot of the, it was really kind of the first zombie movie in a lot of ways. There, there were certainly zombie movies before this, but the, they didn't follow the tropes we think of mm-hmm. as part of the modern zombie movie, right? The, um, the kind of the slow moving, shambling, you know, um, shoot them in the head or burn them to get rid of them kind of zombie um, zombie thing. And Night of the Living Dead really has all of those uh, to a degree that like kind of stunned me. Uh, you know, you any mo- zombie movie you've seen is basically cribbing directly from this movie. Yeah. Anything's made since what? It came out in like, I want to say 68. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Um, so to kind of hit the, the kind of highlights of the, the film quickly, uh, it opens with uh, Barbara and Johnny, who are brother and sister, uh, on, a, on a lovely drive out to their grandfather's grave uh, in the middle of nowhere... And I want to say the West Virginia Pennsylvania border, uh, somewhere around there. Creepy shit uh, happening. Yeah, West yeah, Virginia, exactly. That's a yeah. that's a classic spooky spot mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and they're you know they're they're doing brother sister bants uh, in the graveyard. You know Johnny's being kind of a an older brother asshole. As an older brother, I uh, I know that <laughs> uh, I know that play pretty well. Uh, he's pretty insufferable. Barbara is is not having a lot of his nonsense. Um, and, you know, while he's giving her a hard time, they see this man off in the distance. He makes fun of this man. Moments later, in, in a truly, even for its time, like, kind of painful to watch scene, they have, like, a little grappling, uh, match where the zombie kind of grabs onto him and tries to, tries to bite onto him, but, uh, Johnny's kind of fighting back, but it's it's real 1960s kind of stuff. They haven't they haven't figured out the the kind of kayfabe you need for a uh, for a solid <laughs> wrestling match. <Yeah. laughs> um, so unfortunately, um, Johnny gets his head bashed in by the zombie, and Barbara spends. God, I got to say the next like 10 minutes of the movie running away from this zombie. <laughs> it is like, I, I'm going to, I'm not going to say how I come down on this movie, but like, this is a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> sure. This is not the best scene in this movie. She spends a long time running for this, from the zombie before finally finding her way to this kind of, this abandoned house um, where uh, she kind of tries to, you know, um, try to barricade herself in a little bit. Zombies start kind of gathering around. They know she's there. And um, this guy, um, Ben, shows up, kind of fleeing the same, the same zombies, right? And immediately proceeds to start barricading the house. Um, you know, classic prepper response to a zombie apocalypse situation. Barbara lies down on the couch, sits down on the couch, and enters a coma that she does not leave for the rest of the movie. Barbara is zero help. (laughs) Uh, Ben keeps asking her to go and do basic tasks. Uh, Barbara does none of these tasks. And somewhere along the way, they realize that there's another family hiding out in the basement. Well, I I shouldn't necessarily call it. It's a couple, uh, a young couple, um, and then a husband, wife, and their young daughter. The father is just the dumbest, 
most useless, most opinionated person on the planet <laughs> who refuses to coordinate with anyone and is convinced that he has the only right solution, which is to lock themselves in the basement uh, and wait this thing out. The other, the other thing to mention is that the daughter is sick mm. and it's not fully clear why, although you all you all know where this is mm. going. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, sure. there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of suspense. <laughs> yeah. in She's this got this situation. weird open wound on yeah, her neck. Exactly. We're not really yeah. sure kind of like what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Ben does sort of successfully convince everyone to kind of come upstairs, and they start formulating a plan to get out of there. Um, in, in kind of interspersed with this is Ben, you know, again as the only competent character realizing that zombies are afraid of fire and setting fire to things, throwing them at the zombies, like trying to keep them away from the house, right? And uh, the TV is giving them information about what is going on outside of their, uh, of the local, um, you know, uh, Pennsylvania, West Virginia border. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it's, it's chaos, obviously, right? It, it's a zombie apocalypse. Zombie child zombifies. And if everyone, you introduce a zombie child yeah, in the first act yeah. of the film, you, you have to shoot him. Exactly. In the third exactly. Act. exactly. Check, Check off zombie, zombie child. Exactly. Yeah, knows. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm skipping over some stuff in the meantime. The, <laughs> sure. the you know the dad makes a play for you know power over Ben and like grabs a gun and tries to like and Barbara gets eaten by zombies. But again, like yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a zombie <laughs> movie. This is what happens, <laughs> right? Cannot emphasize enough just how stupid everyone in this movie is except for Ben except for Ben <laughs> it's like it's painful to watch they're just they're just deep deep incompetence Ben I guess ends up I think he ends up in like a kind of a brutal scene murdering the child with an axe if I'm remembering correctly well it's no uh, longer a child so yeah exactly it's a zombie so it's fine <laughs> it's fine um and the movie kind of moves into its into its last bit at which point it becomes relevant to mention that the U.S. government's solution to the zombie problem mm -hmm. is to organize local militias Always. of just the dumbest hicks on the planet. The drunkest people the, with shotguns. Do you guys yeah. remember a couple weeks ago when there was that breakout, uh, this uh, prisoner escaped in Pennsylvania? Day eight of the search for Danilo Cavalcante, and now eight sightings of the killer who crab walked up the walls of the Chester County prison to escape last Thursday. And you had uh, like local Pennsylvania people driving around in trucks. In the meantime, we're also learning that vigilantes are starting to get involved. With, no. Oh, yeah, this is a whole Holy thing shit. with like AR 15s, and they like. You know, the news guys would come up to them like, what are you doing? They're like, oh, we're out here to catch him. We met Ryan Stiles. He's from this part of Chester County and is now joining in on the hunt for Cavalcante. Today, he grabbed his pistol and went into the woods to start his own search, looking to cash in on the $20,000 reward. There's a $25,000 reward if we, uh, if we, you know, if we're the ones that How get it. How many civilians were killed There's in this A hundred, probably. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Just, just all. Like, oh and I'm, I'm watching this happen, and it was, I think it was right before I watched the movie, and that was the first thing I thought of as I'm watching these, you know, just these yinzers walking around, yeah. like, uh, just mowing down zombies and like drinking and you know just just 
real Western PA energy out of the whole thing. <laughs> I'm from the East Coast, so I'm allowed to say that. Um, it's like a bunch of Steelers fans. Yeah, exactly. Idiots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they're wearing Jerome Bettis jerseys for some reason, even though that was like 30 years before he was playing. It's it's kind of a weird... I don't know what to make of that part. Uh, um, but... Uh, and this is where, look, I, I don't know if this was intentional in the casting, especially being in 68. Mm-hmm. But Ben is the is played by, I believe his name is Dwayne Jones. Um, and he is the only black man in this movie mm-hmm. set in West Virginia slash Pennsylvania. He is also the only halfway competent human being in this entire movie. <laughs> and I don't know how this played at the time. But living in, you know, 2023 and watching this movie, that is an incredibly funny aspect of this movie <laughs> that, like, it really feels like it's taking the piss out of the audience a little bit, yeah. you know, of, like, what you've got to presume is a fairly, you know, conservative, more, um, uh, less woke audience than maybe uh, you might have, yeah. have today. Um, so horror movies that are this old are missing kind of a lot of the techniques that they've developed to really really frighten modern audiences, right? But mm-hmm. I think it's an effective movie. I think it's this last bit that kind of immortalizes it and why I will ultimately end up recommending this highly, which is these Yinzers are, are kind of combing across the countryside, just shooting everything they see, mm-hmm. totally indiscriminately. Um, you're, I think, supposed to assume they're mostly zombies. But they get to the old house. And Ben is still alive. He has survived the night. Um, and he um, kind of comes to a window at the house, looks out, sees these guys coming, and immediately gets shot in the head and mm. killed. Yep. Okay. Decent horror ending. Then there's a post credit sequence. And this is... I, I didn't know they made post-credit sequences or credit sequences in yeah. movies in 1968. Yeah. Um, th- this absolutely blew my mind. The post-credit sequence is still images of the Yinzers picking up Ben's body with meat hooks. Ooh. Oh, my God. The hero of the movie and dumping him on this fire. I forgot about that and part. And burning it. God damn. Yeah. And that. That's fucking it's brutal. It's absolutely insane. It is. Now, I've seen now a lot of classic horror movies over the past couple, you know, couple weeks. I don't think there's an ending that just hits that, that bleak and that hard. Yeah. Uh, and especially to be one of the first, like, semi-modern horror films and just end on this, like, completely nihilistic note is in uh, 1968 too when there's all of these murders and assassinations right? of civil rights activists yes. happening yes yeah. i like i don't know what romero intended but i can't help but see it through this racial racial lens mm-hmm. of the mod- it, it it is such a great horror movie ending it is such a like bleak take on humanity and race and yeah it is really one of the most incredible movie endings i've probably ever seen um so again it's a classic those who haven't seen it like i I realize i'm going through kind of you know 
the best of the best at this point on some level or, or, or the kind of foundational texts, if you will. But like, um, you know, I recommend this movie uh, yeah. incredibly highly. It was just a really incredible horror movie. Have you seen other uh, Romero films? No, or, uh, no. I think it's time to start. Like he, I'm, he really uses zombies primarily to work through a lot of societal things. Like uh, mm-hmm. I just watched land yeah. of the dead, which is kind of more of a mid tier mm-hmm. Romero film, but it, it deals a lot with like classism and mm-hmm. uses zombies as that. Yeah, it, yeah. It represents, it's an interesting twist on the formula. Cause it's like, Romero made that in 2005. Oh, like that's so many yeah. years after decades after. Um, and he kind of represents like this whole, like what if zombies actually had like a cognition to them? Mm. What if they were actually able to process that the okay. fellow zombies are dying? Mm. And at the same time, like what if uh, all that's left of humanity in the apocalypse is people trying to grasp straws at like the power structure that remains. Um, and okay. it's pretty fascinating yeah. to watch him like meditate on that. Yeah. And, and, kind of his films in between have that sort of like, he's really trying to explore the different aspects of the creatures he creates. So interesting. Yeah. That's, I love that kind of, uh, you know, that has like almost like, um, what was the original movie? Um, last man on earth, uh, Mm -hmm. with Vincent price, Mm. um, um, turned into, I am legend. I think a couple, Mm -hmm. I think a couple times it was called that. Um, but I, I'm fascinated by the, the way in which horror movies go beyond the movies that go beyond just like trying to scare us. Right. Yeah. I and mean, like that, that's like, I don't want to say that's cheap cause it's not, it's actually like, you know, it's a, it's a fundamental human emotion and like, it's, 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 you know, it's meaningful to play with that and kind of, and tease that out. But the horror movies that move beyond that and move into some kind of commentary on either our fears or, um, kind of our existing relationships or whatever. I mean, those are, I mean, those are the ones that really kind of stand the test of time. A lot of the, in a lot of instances. It is really amazing how night of the living dead was different from the horror movies before it. And mm-hmm. also on a budget that's extremely low, yes. like that yes. also helped open up these, these lower budget yeah. horror movies later. But before that, you know, you talk about a scare, you, you follow your character through and, it is things happen or things jump out of them, but you're, you kind of have the knowledge that your characters mm-hmm. are okay. Yeah, yeah. Where very quickly night of the living dead mm-hmm. shows you that they're not. And then right. just completely cleans up your cast in this horrible way that you're left with nothing. Yeah. But I think it is that like distilled late sixties, all the horrible things that had happened. This is during Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think a reflection of that, but it's also not, somewhere else so many of those Mm -hmm. older horror movies are like you know either it doesn't tell you where it is or Mm -hmm. it's you know oh we're in the mummy's tomb or it's something that's like far away and this one's like in neighborhoods right right like it and it comes to you to your door the horror is here uh which is also a very different take yeah and i feel like even like that it took a bit Mm -hmm. to get this going again like it was at least was 10 years to Halloween from this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and kind of in yeah. that gap, I don't think horror movies still really quite hit it mm-hmm. until you get into that, yeah. like Halloween, Friday the 13th kind of take off from there of like, yeah, we just, you know, it's horrible. It's in your house, you know, it's in your right, house, it's right. in your neighborhood, it's killing everyone indiscriminately. Like, yeah. it's a, this is a new type of horror. Yeah. It's pure evil. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
and I, you know, I love like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a, as a, you know, as a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one, it, it's in so many ways it, it pulls from Night of the Living Dead. And in yeah. so many ways, it is completely different, right? Um, it's not in their house, right? Mm-hmm. It's not coming to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they stupidly, seek aggressively, it stupidly it. seek yeah. it out, right? <laughs> um, but just as importantly, like, and maybe, and I don't know, this is where I'm kind of like, as I build this foundation of text to kind of interpret, you know, horror films, I- I'm curious how this plays out. But, you know, Night of the Living Dead, you-, you have some empathy for these characters, especially Ben by the end uh you know his death is an unpleasant shock the treatment of his body after death is is brutal um in texas chainsaw massacre i don't think you feel all that much like you might feel no. fear at that movie but i never felt empathy <laughs> yeah. for those characters yeah. I don't it's think like you're i don't to. think you're supposed yeah. to they're they're not characters in any meaningful sense they're hey hey hey, do you think they're coming after us do you you think they wrote that sound on our van so they could come find us i think toby hooper should be like investigated for ableism just on the way he wrote franklin we need to cancel him after the fact like it's really concerning what he did there um but yeah it's just it's you know, and again, I I do love that movie, and it's effective in the way it's effective. But it also goes a totally different route. And yeah, I agree. It's not until Halloween and kind of some of those later films that you get something that kind of pulls at this the same way. Um, so, yeah, Dixon, any any thoughts? Have you seen this? Yeah, I have seen Night of the Living Dead. I I really liked it a lot. Um, I had seen several zombie movies before seeing Night of the Living Dead. I actually saw Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. First, and I didn't really care for Dawn of the Dead, which is also Romero. And it's like it's like more fun, like it's set in a shopping mall, and it's okay. kind of like more lighthearted. But like I didn't really vibe with it very well. Um, but in college, I had a roommate that had an Xbox 360, and we played a shitload of Call of Duty Zombies. <laughs> and when I watched Night of the Living Dead, I was this is probably like four or five years ago. I saw it for the first time. I was like holy shit like everything that is call of duty zombies is just from this movie like it's not Mm -hmm. just from the larger aesthetic of zombie films it's just from this movie like building up boards on the windows like all of this stuff is just from this movie and it's it's like pretty wild how well established the zombie mythos Mm -hmm. was just in Mm -hmm. this film like how well thought out it was and how just how well everything was done is is pretty shocking And to tie it into the racial and political climate of the time is, is just, it, it's just crazy how, you know, it's just, and you don't, you don't really realize what he's doing until it's over. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like a lot of times, you know, you see, and I agree with you, I appreciate horror films that are more um, introspective about human nature, about society or different things that are kind of using horror tropes to make you think about yourself or about society as, as a whole. But with Night of the Living Dead, He's doing that, but he's only doing that at the end of the movie, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't mm-hmm. realize it until it's already done. And there are there are horror movies that are brilliant, like The Shining or um Hereditary, or movies that like make you think about these things as the movie is going on. And you're having these thoughts mm-hmm. inside your head as the movie is happening. With Night of the Loving Dead, Living Dead, you're just on a roller mm-hmm. crazy roller coaster 
And then it ends and you're like, oh shit. And you have to recontextualize yes. the entire movie that you have just seen. And I, I think that is really difficult to pull off and just an incredibly powerful way to make a movie. Um, and I've seen a couple other Romero films. I've seen Donna Dead and I've seen one or two others and just none of them ever came close to the power of Night of the Living Dead. I think that the movie is, is just so good and it's just like, I kind of just don't need to see any more zombie movies because it's so good. You know, it's just hard to like get excited to go see a different zombie yeah, movie. But totally. yeah, I really it, thought when you said that your roommate had a 360 that you, were gonna say you <laughs> played uh, Dead Rising, which is actually plays it's it's off of Dawn of the Dead Dawn. because yeah. it takes oh. place in a mall. <laughs> and you get to use like anything and everything to kill any and all zombies. And they have like psychopaths running free. I kind of think I've played that also. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that too. Um, but I spent like hundreds of hours playing Call of Duty zombies in college. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't doubt it. And uh, it's like, you know, there's ray guns and weird shit, but it's basically just Night of the Living Dead at the end of the day. Yeah. That's yeah, what that yeah. game is. Yeah. Um, I, I would say too, like if you pursue like more of Romero's stuff, I would also recommend like The Return of the Living Dead, which mm -hmm. is a Dan O'Bannon film. Okay. Um, Dan O'Bannon, who wrote uh, Alien and uh, a few other uh, movies that you might know, um, Return of the Living Dead plays with a lot of the lore of what Night of the Living Dead establishes mm -hmm. in a way that criticizes and critiques like just like human incompetence, but also like military incompetence mm -hmm. and like the government's solution to solving mass epidemics. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's sort of this like mix of like exploitation and dark comedy and at the end of it all like the dark comedy culminates in something that's very similar to like a doctor strange love kind of condemnation oh wow military solutions okay. really interesting, interesting. To, to watch I like that does but someone yeah. ride a zombie down to uh to the depths of hell <laughs> they do basically decide to uh to to nuke a bunch of zombies um which doesn't solve the problem and you'll find out right. why in the movie but yeah it's it's pretty fun that's well, awesome. nukes have always solved every problem. Everybody so, knows uh, that. I'm very surprised at this claim, John, <laughs> that nukes did not solve the, the zombie problem. We all watched Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's breaking new ground in movies. Most yeah. movies are pro-nuclear bombs. So <laughs> yeah. I'm shocked to hear they wrote one that was against it. We cannot have We cannot have a zombie gap. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Uh, nice. All right, you you brought us back around. Um, I also I'm still watching and working through horror movies this month, and I also watched a horror movie that has a surprising racial undertone. Oh! Uh, I watched 1992's Candyman. An entire community starts attributing the daily horrors of their lives to a mythical figure. The legend first appeared in 1890. He was attacked, mutilated, and burned to death. Poor Candyman. Helen, a woman died in there. Leave it. Everyone knows he isn't real. That's modern oral folklore. Everyone. Except Helen Lyle. Where did I... It ain't safe around here. Now, she is about to discover... Helen? What's behind the legend? Listen, he's under the bed! And most terrifying of all... Come with me. What's behind the mirror? He's here. Candyman. 
which I had not watched Candyman before. I'm kind of getting like into the uh, like so many classic horrors and slashers, and I'm trying to get into like, all right, what are those ones that are like next tier down that I hadn't had a chance to watch? Uh, and I intended to watch this and the remake, but I didn't have a chance to catch the remake. But I am very interested. It's not exactly a remake. It is actually kind of t- technically a sequel. Yeah, it's like a re- it's like a reboot. Basically, I've only yeah, seen the it's new a requel. one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whatever the fuck I think you it's it's it. a it's a direct sequel to the '92 Candyman, ignoring Candyman two and three, which is for the best. Just that sure, that's like honestly. just the thing that they do now. It's like, oh, yeah. we're making Halloween, but none of the other ones happened, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just we're going back. Mm-hmm. So '92 Candyman, uh, it's. It is interesting because I feel like it does what I've said horror movies need to do. They need to have something that puts them like one step up. Like there's some point that they're after or they're trying to like, you know, discuss something of a horror or the effects are really good enough mm-hmm. to just put it over so it's fun. Um, and Candyman has like a, a good, I would say, a mix of kind of both of those. Some like interesting work, uh, practical effects and this mix of the core idea of following urban myths. Candyman itself is either the Bloody Mary where you say it in a mirror or the hook, you know, classic, the guy with the hook that's at the car or whatever, right? Um, I feel like this movie, unlike the second and third Candyman's, what I've read, actually leaves it to where Candyman himself is not, ex- it's not exactly clear how true anything anybody says about him other than he survives entirely on being this mythological figure and he needs people to believe and fear in him. He's like God. Yeah. Like that classic Martin Scorsese anti-hero, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> there is some weird, there is some weird Jesus Christ in church uh, uh, imagery in this movie though. Like I'll give it that. Uh, our our main character, she is uh, working on her thesis, and she's writing it about urban myths, and she's going around and interviewing, you know, students at her school about what they know about urban myths. The Candyman myth comes up a couple times, and in researching it, she starts to find out that like maybe there is a couple true events behind it all taking place around the projects in Chicago. And in fact, when she hears the stories of like, hey, this is, a, you're talking about Candyman, that's a real thing, that's not something. She hears from white kids about these like Candyman stories and other urban myths, but then the uh, black workers at the the janitors are the ones who are like, no, Candyman's real. Like, I know Candyman. I know the person that was attacked by Candyman. Like, you need to go to the projects if you want to find out the real story. And so a lot of the movie then is around this mythos in the projects and this racial history uh where they you know the backstory is supposedly this artist who black artist who is a freed slave he falls in love with a girl he's supposed to be making this painting of and of course that pisses off the you know her white father who sends people after him kill him uh, cover him in honey and feed him to the bees, I think is the the way they cap it off. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and then supposedly the projects were built on top of wherever his ashes were, just to add a little to the mm-hmm. to the mythos. 
it is unclear to me if like any of that is true. And I actually prefer to think about like, that's just part of the myth and not necessarily like actual things that actually happen. I don't like there to be too much explanation for a movie like this into the supernatural. Like I don't actually need to know it. I just need enough to be like, Hmm, there's something there. I don't need to understand how he got inside the Chucky doll. Just, he is okay. (laughs) Good enough. (laughs) Let's move forward. Um, the, sort of like drop into insanity of the main character is an interesting thing to follow when she eventually like gets, gets hold of Candyman. Uh, he, he's like, um, she almost becomes enraptured, like hypnotized by him. And then the kind of core of it is that she, uh, in, I guess in writing about it and taking the pictures is kind of removing the mythos because she eventually gets attacked by somebody who's like, Hey, you shouldn't be looking into the Candyman. And he's a gangbanger, and so they, the police come and arrest him because a white lady got attacked, so now they give a shit. Mm. Uh, and then they're like, oh, that was the Candyman. And they just, that's it. Everyone's like, okay, good, case solved. Well, the Candyman's not happy with that. He gets pissed. And so he comes back to try to build up the mythos, and she sort of like blacks out a few times and seemingly murders people, uh, but no one will believe her that it's the Candyman and it's not happening with her. We're kind of like off to the crazy races at the end. Uh, some really good B work. The yep. pretty fucked up what they did to these actors, I think. Uh, but it works really well. Like, that's the one thing I would say in this that's like actually creepy uh, from an effect standpoint. The uh, Candyman like opens up his jacket and his chest is just like an empty cavity filled with bees. And then like bees come out of his mouth into nice. the actress's mouth as he kisses her. She opens up a toilet at one point and it's just fucking chock full of bees. Is this all and I was, practical? I had to look it up. Do I? Yeah. Is this all practical? Yes. Yeah. I looked because I looked at the, the toilet scene. I was like, how did they get the fucking bees to stay in that toilet? <laughs> Obviously, I've seen like, yeah. the bees, Ryan. No, you did watch that. <laughs> uh, yes. That, it's called yeah. The Wicker Man. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. No, this is a very much a not the bees movie for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they, it's also filmed in the actual projects in Chicago, uh, you know, it, it is honestly one of those things that you can probably sit there and be like, oh man, look at all that graffiti they added to make this realistic. And then you like, nope. look it up and be like, oh no, they're just filming in the apartments there. That's the graffiti that's there. And apparently they had to get the approval of the gangs in the area and include them as extras in order to film and film safely. And they still shot their production van. So <laughs> what they went to, to make this movie. Um, it the it's not a great movie per se, and I will say the racial undertones are kind of weird because they do definitely come off as that like '90s scared to go in the project, scared of black people, gangs kind of thing is is definitely there um, in an uncomfortable way. But then at the same time, I'm like, it's a black serial killer in in a, in a power position that I can't think of other examples of. Like, I'm kind of surprised that there really isn't that. And I can see where Candyman kind of has gone to become part of black culture because it's a bit like, John, when we talk about exploitation films, where it's kind of like, hey, well, there's actually some black people on screen. Like, it's all right. Like, let's go watch the black exploitation films and then sort of like take them to become our own because they just don't have anything else. And so I still feel like that's like an untapped piece. That's why I'm, I'm very interested in seeing the uh, new new Candyman to see how we can kind of like actually turn that in a good direction. Um, 
there are some like after Candyman. There's a few in the 90s and early 2000s that are on the more comedic angle. This is the one that I feel like is closest to like a traditional slasher serial killer type. Um, you know, I'm not counting like Leprechaun in the Hood. Like that's not quite <laughs> <laughs> what I'm angling at. Um, so I, I think it's definitely like worth a watch. Uh, but it's it's tough to say if it's a classic. And I and like, but it, I wish I would see more. So I'm I want to watch the new one, and I will update. I will at least mention when I watch the new one, like how I feel like I take it in context. Um, so, but anything that's getting these like multiple sequels, I'm always interested in. Like, what was it that stuck in people's minds and gave it multiple se- sequels? I still see like this is where I'm like anything essentially that I was like at the Halloween store that I saw that I'm like, shouldn't be in the public consciousness anymore, but still is. Yeah. Candyman is one of those. Um, <laughs> that's like, you still see shirts and you see stuff and you see the, like the face with bees or whatever, like still show up even before the, the recent remake. Um, and I'm like, I can kind of see why it stuck around. And I, I think following the urban myths, there are a few stories that, that do kind of like, they tend to take from urban myths, but never directly, is it about this concept of urban myths in of themselves mm. and like, where do those come from and what power did they have that's actually explored? You know, you sort of have the like camp tale Friday the 13th or the babysitter Halloween, you know, that they're there, but they're never, that's like not the plot isn't about urban myths specifically. Yeah. So I've seen the newer one. I have not seen the 92 version. I do want to check it out. Um, Tony Todd as Candyman. I have seen him in some other things, like he's in The Rock as a, like a soldier. You know, he he's done other things, and I always like he has a very recognizable face. I always like notice him when I see him and stuff, but I haven't seen him in this, which is his preeminent role. Uh, how is he as Candyman? He's awesome. Like that's definitely I feel like part of what makes this really good. He, I mean, nice. he is a big imposing guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they like cast him in that way. He sort of the early few things like you kind of hear him a couple times, but like even when you first see him, he's much more like in shadow and just this imposing figure. And then as it continues and you actually start to see him like he is just imposing, but also kind of like enigmatic, I guess, to where you do, you know, just like the character kind of are like, all right, what's his deal? What is he doing? Mm. Why is he doing this? Like, why is he after her? you know, did these things actually happen, you know, that, that, that is interesting. So no, I think he's perfectly cast. I think that's part of what made it work is that, yeah, he's the right person to have. It is also interesting because he's not, nice. a, he's not the faceless killer. Like it isn't like he's behind a mask or anything like that. Yeah, um, so that's also an interesting there. take. Like it's, yeah, like it's this person is a really fucking weird stump hook hand thing. And he, obviously mm-hmm. when it opens his chest, it's all bees. Um, but for the most part, you're kind of just seeing like him beads, the beads. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, that's I remember watching the candy, like watching original Candyman and being pretty freaked out by the hollow cavity filled with bees. Yeah, uh, much more so than what I talked about along a few episodes back. 1978's The Bees, which doesn't <laughs> do a good job of making bees scary. So, yeah. Yeah, the the new version was directed by Nia DaCosta um, and stars Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. Uh, but he's very good in it. Um, I, I think maybe the, the movie left a little to be 
desired. It was kind of like it was okay, but I'm I'm interested to check out the the original. Yeah, the so the original is based on a short story by Clive Barker. Really, Clive Barker is you is your I read all the Stephen King novels and I need something at the airport. Uh, horror writer. <laughs> yeah. I'm done with the um, cocaine fueled horror and I need something else. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, in that spikes. one, it is much more like it doesn't take place in Chicago. The projects are like all that is added for the movie. Like that was a, a change that Bernard Rose wanted to make. And uh, it is much more about the like myth around the plantation. And uh, I think it takes actually takes place like in England, like it's a completely different and it's much more like Mm. classist about sort of, you know, what black man trying to come up in class is what the problem is, right? That, that leads to this where this movie kind of takes that like, yeah, let's talk about the classism, but we're going to set it in like nineties in Chicago and, and use that as the trappings almost exploitive, like, or probably exploitively though. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's kind of an, an interesting change to that original. Uh, Clive Barker, you know, take take it, take it, leave it. I don't know yeah. if there's a good <laughs> necessarily Clive Barker. He gets his name on a bunch of stuff, but is this your favorite Clive Barker project that you've seen? Uh, I mean, there was something to Hellraiser as yeah. well. <laughs> so, yeah. Something, yeah, something. yeah. <laughs> um, and Nightbreed, yeah, but it, like all of them Nightbreed. are just kind of like. They're interesting, but they don't ever feel like they quite stick the landing. Can, can I just mm. say, uh, which I, it's saying something because is... Stephen King can't write the ending to anything. No, <laughs> sorry, John. <laughs> maybe this is a hot take, Ryan, but Clive Barker is the Dan Brown of Stephen King's. What? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> Ryan knows exactly what. The it's fuck gonna take is. me a while to unpack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well. So, yeah. Okay. Candyman. So you're recommending Candyman? I, I recommend Candyman. Yeah. Okay. I think it's especially like it, you know, for a horror fan, yep, check it out. You know, you'll enjoy it. It fits all the trappings. It is something different from a lot of the usual horror. Uh, even though it's in the nineties. There's a couple bad in camera effects that just are passing though, but like the B effects and everything are good. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, just kind of an in, in something else. Dude, bring back practical bees. Why don't they do that anymore? <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. My understanding is that Tony Todd asked for $1,000 of bee sting, so that's probably the, oh. the right way to go about it, is to add that yeah. into your contract, and then you can get bee work. That's a good Damn, call. That's real bee work right there. I thought it was that all the bees were dying. That's why they took them out of the movies. That's that could a good be point, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's... yeah. Well, find a substitute. <laughs> yeah, in the third Wicker Man reboot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pure <laughs> killer uh, hornets. murder yeah. hornets. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. Surprise. Somebody tells uh, me they're not as Fire ants. <laughs> fire ants. Oh, God. <laughs> Bullet ants. That's too close to <laughs> yeah. Like the deadliest <laughs> ant possible. <laughs> yeah. Cool. cool. All right. I think it's uh that brings us to wrap. We had a refute for uh, Star refute Odyssey on Star Odyssey. <laughs> yes, a refute, a heavy refute on uh, hypnotic. Except for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, John <laughs> should John watch it <laughs> because he's a weirdo. <laughs> everybody else don't of don't course, bother with that shit. Yes. If you want to watch Ben Affleck look like he wants to kill himself. 
just fucking pull up the most recent like a uh, tabloid article. Pull up a him. clip of Gili. Yeah. <laughs> but don't don't. It's all downhill watch from there. Gili. Uh, but, yeah. 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 Just pull up a clip of it. That's all you need. We have a strong recommendation for Night of the Living Dead from Eric. Yeah. And I am recommending 1992's Candyman. Uh, cool. And that that will wrap us up. I have been your host Ryan King. Joining us tonight, we have John Garcia. Pray for my sanity, everybody. Schlocktober continues. You brought this on yourself. I'm not praying for shit. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thoughts and we prayers? hope to see you again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And also, Michael Dixon. Thanks for putting up with our bullshit. And special guest, Eric Reynolds. <laughs> I am over here hoping and praying that Ryan doesn't have any mirrors. In the room that he's in, given how many yeah, times I he said see. Candyman over the past <laughs> ten minutes, I think I, I think I see a shadow in the background. <laughs> yeah, I'm not he's, turning around. I know where this goes. <laughs>Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.